This is the Overtime Podcast Network. This is the Turn on the Jets Podcast. With the third pick in the 2019 NFL Draft, the New York Jets select Quinnen Williams, nose tackle, Alabama. Now, here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso owner of turnonthejets.com. For this week's episode, we're going to work through all of the questions that you guys sent in on Twitter this week. We're also going to talk a little bit about the Jets' recent front office additions of Chad Alexander, Phil Savage, and Rex Hogan, all three of which happened today. Uh, also have an article up on turnonthejets.com discussing those hirings, but we'll also discuss them further here. Uh, along with plenty of of questions across a wide range of topics that came in. Uh, We'll talk about some trade targets. We'll talk about Greg Williams and Adam Gase. We'll talk about the state of the roster and all that other good stuff that came through on Twitter.com. Before we dive into them, I want to remind you guys that this podcast is available on Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, where you need to hit us with a subscribe, a rate, a review, uh, we're at like 520 ratings now, so we got to push that up around 600. Keep them coming in. It's greatly appreciated. Podcast is also available on turnonthejets.com, uh, and we'll share it out across our social platforms as well. So thank you again, everybody, who took the time to tweet these in. Uh, we'll work through them one at a time, read out the handle, answer the question, go for about, I don't know, 30 minutes or so here. Uh, as long as I could talk in my apartment without waking up my son while he's sleeping. So trying to keep the volume a little low. These are the uh, perks of podcasting while a father. Anyway, first question from at FAX Chris. Do you see us making a push for Trent Williams? Uh, there is a rumor that the longtime Redskins tackle could be on the market uh, because of him being unhappy with the team's medical staff. Look, do the Jets need to be looking seriously at any offensive line additions? Absolutely. Do I think they're going to be able to swing something for Williams at this stage of the offseason? I wouldn't bet on it. Uh, but I think they're going to do their due diligence on any opportunity like that. I think it's more likely that they're going to make an addition at offensive line at some point in the summer when training camp cutdowns happen. Uh, I'm not sure that ultimately they're going to pony up to make this move, but they should be aggressively looking at every opportunity to tackle. And obviously Williams, uh, when healthy, is one of the better, if not one of the best tackles in the NFL. And Right now I would say the Jets are average at best at tackle. So my hope is that they're looking at every avenue for improvement, and that would include Williams as he, if he really is actively out on the market right now. Next question from Patrick Cardosa at P underscore Cardosa. Do you think it's possible for the Jets front office to make a move for Darius Slayer, Jalen Ramsey, or do you think the defense will suffer when teams try to stretch the field if they don't acquire them? Uh, I think similar to offensive line, the Jets need to be looking at every option to improve the cornerback position, not just long-term, but also in the near term. Uh, both of these guys are particularly intriguing targets. You know, I think with Ramsey, he's looking for a massive long-term deal. Two years ago was one of the best players in the NFL, still one of the best young corners in the NFL, although he took a step back, I would say, last year. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see uh, if and when he f- hits free agency, what that deal looks like. Uh, but in terms of giving up draft collateral for him or Darius Slay, you know, I think you're looking at 
a second round pick and probably even more for a guy like Ramsey. But with Slay, I think that's it's an intriguing potential target. The Jets need another starter at corner straight up. I mean, really, they need like two two more bodies at corner to feel better about it. Uh, but I think Slay. To a lesser extent, Ramsey, because that's a massive deal, and I'm not sure the Jaguars are going to be quite ready to part with him yet, um, are definitely places the Jets should be looking, along with potentially maybe bringing back Morris Claiborne at this point, although it's still not the most inspiring depth chart, although you'd feel a little better about than what it is now. Uh, But this similar to offensive line is going to be another position when training camp cutdowns happen. The Jets have to look at every avenue. You just... You cannot go into the season with your top three corners being Tremaine Johnson at his age coming off the season he did, Daryl Roberts, and Brian Poole because you could be rolling along everywhere else, but if you're not getting to the quarterback fast enough, some of these offenses are going to destroy the Jets' secondary, and Jamal Adams can only cover so much space. If you're weak at corner, teams who have players like Odell Beckham Jr., uh, are going to take advantage of it. And when you play other more diverse passing offensives like the Patriots and the Eagles or the Cowboys, even with Amari Cooper, uh, it's going to be really tough to match up with teams like that early in the season. So hopefully the Jets uh, are aggressive there. And we've already seen Joe Douglas make some bottom-of-the-roster additions to improve the competition at cornerback. Hopefully more to come there. I do think, look, between Slay or Ramsey, I think Slay is probably a more pragmatic target in the near term. Uh, I'm curious to see how the Ramsey situation develops. Um, that would, of course, be a blockbuster deal. But if there's a spot to make a blockbuster deal at, it's probably cornerback if it's not offensive line. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question from NJ Farrow. Which games are you heading to this season? So a little story about me as a, someone who attends Jet games as a Jet season ticket holder. I have been going to Jet games, I would say, since I've been four or five the first one i ever went to was the one where dennis bird actually got paralyzed which was like you know a crazy thing to see and obviously a very sad thing to see uh since then i I probably was going to two to three games a year then i eventually took on the season tickets myself i probably peaked going i think i went to seven of the eight home games in 2015 um Went a ton, obviously, during the the Rex years. This past year was actually the first season I did not attend a single game. Now, that was for a variety of reasons. My son was born uh, actually the day of the Jets' home opener against Miami. Um, I was planning to go to the game, the Buffalo game, but then when we found out that Darnold wasn't playing, we didn't end up going. Thank God, because they lost 607 to nothing to Matt Barkley and the Buffalo Bills. Uh, But looking forward to getting back to the stadium this year. I've not been as much in recent years candidly it's challenging for me to cover the game the way i like to cover it if i'm there you know you can only do so much on your phone that you can't do on your laptop when you have you know your tv in front of you and your second tv in front of you and all the stuff that goes with that um but obviously i think this is going to be a much different year in some aspects than it has been in these past few years where really the season has been over by like Halloween the past three years. So there's been like three meaningful home games each of these past few years. I was at the Jacksonville game uh, that they won in overtime in 2017. That was a fun one. Um, You know, ultimately did hurt their draft spot, but it was still a fun, entertaining game to be at. I think that was actually the last game I've been to. So this year, uh, I'm planning on going to the first two. Uh, Always wanted to go there when they have a good chance to beat Buffalo, and it will be week one, so that should be a fun environment. And then week two against Cleveland on Monday night should be a blast. 
Um, probably will go to the Giants game as well later in the year with some of my idiot friends who are Giant fans. Uh, so I'm looking to try to get to three or four games this year, and you know we'll we'll adjust accordingly on how you know cover those games. But hoping that there'll be some meaningful home games into November and December. But this is a fun home schedule uh, when you look kind of across it. You know, I believe that they had the primetime game against New England, which I've been to a lot of those in the past, and they're not always the best experiences. But uh, getting the Giants at home, getting the Browns at home in primetime, um, opening up at home with Buffalo, uh, I think it's an interesting home schedule. So excited to get back out to MetLife. It does actually look like they've nearing the end of construction on what was supposed to be Xanadu. That building's actually starting to look like a building. Uh, and of course, now they have the sports book out there. So the entire environment is a little more built up. I drive by it all the time as I live, you know, only a few miles from the stadium. Um, so excited to get back out to MetLife. Uh, next question from Brian Simpson at Simi1973. Any chance Woody comes back, but let's Chris continue to run the team? Uh, I think... The read I get on it is that you know Woody's going to come back, whether it's in a year or two, three years. Who know, you know who knows with his situation. I do think he will assume control as the primary owner, uh, but Johnson will stay. His brother Chris will stay involved in some way, but I don't think he's going to let Chris continue to run the team. I think Chris will continue to be involved and be out there a little more than he was previously, but. Look, man, uh, you know you you pay to take over a sports team, and you're not being an ambassador somewhere. You're you're gonna get out in front there as the owner of the team. So I would bank on Woody still being like the top top guy whenever he stops being the ambassador, just with Chris having more of a vocal uh, out there role alongside him. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question from Nick Just Nick at Mister Nick P. Team sack number for the year, individual sack leader prediction. Asked this question on Twitter and got a really wide range of responses, which is, uh, I guess, a good and a bad thing. The Jets certainly don't have anyone who you would feel safe guaranteeing they're going to get double-digit sacks. I think the sack number will be maybe up four or five from what it was last year. I think the guys who are looking most likely to lead the team in sacks, and I think that number will be somewhere between like six and eight, Henry Anderson, Leonard Williams, Jordan Jenkins, uh, Ja'Kai Polite, if he grows up fast, Quinnen Williams, potentially. That kind of cluster of guys, I think, could all get between like four and eight sacks. And you'll get a few more here or there from Jamal Adams, Brian Poole on different blitzes, or uh, one of the other linebackers breaking through, maybe a guy like Brandon Copeland or, frankly, Luvu. But I would look at those top five guys, Anderson, Jenkins, Polite, Williams, and Williams, to all have like between four and eight sacks, and that's where the overwhelming majority of the Jets' sack production ultimately comes from. Next question from Steve Marsak. Is a healthy Bilal Powell RB2? Very happy, of course, the Jets brought Bilal Powell back. Hopefully he is healthy. I think if he is healthy and truly himself, yeah, he's the second best overall running back on the team. Is that going to be the case? I'm not sure. Uh, I am excited also about the addition of Ty Montgomery, and I think those are their top three backs. Um, I would not be surprised if Montgomery sort of operates as the de facto number two back until we really see that Powell's neck is 100% healed and you know he's back to the player that he was. Um, but if he makes the roster, that's a really nice insurance policy to have behind Le'Veon Bell and could really you know, be a north and south runner in the A-gap in a way that I'm not sure Montgomery can. Obviously, Montgomery's strengths are his versatility as a former receiver, his ability to kind of line up all over the formation. He basically functions as like a poor man's Le'Veon Bell. I think Powell's an interesting change of pace and still 
a much better player than Elijah Maguire or Trenton Cannon. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how how he sticks on the roster if he does. Uh, next question from Matt the Mets fan at Matt the Mets fan. Hey Joe, would you rather acquire a mediocre center, much better than Harrison, but not necessarily good, or a solid corner, Daryl Roberts type of guy? Um, I think in this scenario, I'd go with a center who's better than Harrison. Uh, I want as much offensive line depth as possible. Protecting Sam is the top goal. You know, getting another Daryl Roberts level corner, which is probably Morris Claiborne, isn't going to move the needle all that much. Uh, getting somebody with more starting experience and adding more depth at center, uh, I think would make me feel a little better about this offensive line situation where you're really one injury away from having to play someone like Tom Compton a ton of reps, which is really scary when you're already planning on playing Harrison a ton of reps. So get me more bodies up front, man. The Jets just got a lot of work to do on that offensive line. It's really offensive line and cornerback are the two things that hold me back from saying this team, you know, when people ask me, are they going to be good this year? I still say, you know, seven and nine, eight and eight probably. And that main reason I'm saying that and not 10 and six is because of the offensive line and the cornerback position. Um, Next question from Peter J. Dillard. Would you re-sign Leonard Williams to a long-term deal? I think let's see how this year plays out. You know, Let's see how he operates with Quentin Williams. Let's see how Quentin Williams plays as a rookie. Is there a better way the Jets can allocate their resources than by having so much on the interior defensive line? If you ask me today, no, I probably wouldn't give him a massive long-term deal. I don't think he's really earned it yet. I think he's been pretty good. Not great, a little up and down, and was disappointing last year. So I'm curious if he has a big contract here, and maybe that changes the dynamic of the overall situation. But also curious to see just how good Quinlan Williams shows himself to be in year one, because maybe that Leonard Williams money is then better served going to cornerback or offensive line. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question from at Bobby Veep. Have the Jets determined yet what their offensive identity will be? I mean, I hope the Jets' offensive identity is fluid. I think you don't want to just say you always have to be one thing. I I like how a team like New England, you know, people always thought of them as sort of this like spread, quick-hitting pass attack, and they won last year by sort of reverting to being a two-tight end power-running offense, and that's how they found their success down the stretch. And you want to be able to adapt week to week. There's going to be weeks where... It might make more sense for the Jets to give Le'Veon Bell 28 carries and you know run the ball like crazy, and there might be other weeks where it makes sense to just spread it out and let Sam Darnold sling it all over the field. So I hope they have some flexibility. They certainly have the personnel to be more flexible than they've been in the past with Le'Veon Bell and Montgomery and Jamison Crowder and some of the different things those guys can do. Um, but look... It all starts and ends with Sam Darnold. If Sam Darnold's playing good football, the Jets have so many more options about how they could attack defensive defenses. If he struggles, it's not really going to matter what their identity is because if you can't get him to take the next step, uh, a lot of other problems are going to surface. But if he does take that next step, the Jets just have so much more flexibility uh, in how they can attack teams down the field and how they could use you know their top five weapons in the passing game, which are you know, the three starting receivers, Herndon and Bell. Next question from the Jet Ranger. Green out, blackout, or whiteout? So these are the different options that the Jets are going to be doing for their home games. I mean, the blackout's going to be pretty cool. I don't think we've seen anything like that for a while. I generally don't like when the you know the Jets kind of do these, like, stunt whiteout things. I feel like it always ends up being a game that they lose. Um, but I think the whiteout and the blackout will look cooler than the green out. Um, but just win, man. You know, the New Jerseys are cool. I, I've always kind of liked them. It seems like most fans are warming up to them. 
Uh, all these other little things are just details. Uh, the blackout will be cool to see, though. Um, be definitely different than something we've seen in the past. Uh, next question from Charlie at C. Cooch. Have you gotten your fill on culture quotes this season yet? Yes, no one is more exhausted of culture quotes than me. Uh, culture being better than strategy. Why can't you just have both of them? Culture this, culture that. Jets are putting culture all over the building. I, I get why people are talking about it. It's like a common reframe for people to use in their press conferences. But just win football games, man. Improve your strategy. Improve your talent. I just we've heard we've heard this culture thing from the previous regimes and previous regimes before it over and over again. And without a winning strategy and winning football games, it doesn't really mean anything. It's all hollow words. Uh, so just the culture has not changed until the Jets are over 500 in December. Then we could talk about the culture changing. Until then, I don't want to hear about the culture anymore. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. From Maddie Trainer, do you anticipate Gase to incorporate more sprint rollouts and play action to not only utilize Sam's ability, mobility, but limit the exposure of our offensive line and pass protection? That would make sense. Yeah, I should. I think Darnold's really more mobile than p- most people seem to give him credit for, and he showed flashes of that as a rookie. Uh, he does well outside the pocket, and some of his best highlights from his rookie year are him outside the pocket. So, you know, when you're shaky on the offensive line, particularly in the t- interior of the offensive line, yeah, get Darnold on the move. Make his life easier. Cut the field in half when it makes sense to limit his reads. Uh, and make his transition, hopefully, into becoming a very good quarterback easier along the way. So I don't think Gase was ever shy about doing that with a less talented guy in Tannehill. I remember the first play, Jets Dolphins last year, Tannehill had like a 35-yard run off a read option. So could Darnold do things like that? Yeah, I think he could. I think he's, more, again, more athletic than most people seem to give him credit for, and I don't think Gase will be shy about getting him outside of the pocket. This is a funny question from at Taslim. Who do you think has more style, Joe Namath or Jamal Adams? I mean, Namath has it still uh, until the Jets get to a Super Bowl, right? Or we see Jamal Adams on the sideline in a fur coat. You know, I think Adams got the top spot in the team right now, but Namath, Namath is like top top three all time in NFL when it comes to style. I mean, so got to put in more years for Jamal Adams before he takes that belt from Namath. Um, question from Danny Wilson at Wilson DA10. Do you think Joe Douglas is a GM who likes splashy trades or takes a more conservative path? I think, and I've talked about this before, one of the things I like about Douglas or like about where he came from with the Eagles is that there was a lot of different routes to building a roster. So, you know, my answer is both. I, you know, we've seen, if you look at how that Eagles Super Bowl team was built and that team who's had consistent success. It's been built through splashy trades, trading for JHI midseason. Uh, it's been built through big free agent signings. Uh, you know, Carson Wentz's second year, you know, they went out and spent big at wide receiver and loaded up on weapons around him. Um, they, the more conservative pass, which would be slow building through the draft, we've seen them hit on mid round picks and invest and develop guys like Zach Ertz. Uh, around him and on that offensive line. Uh, we've seen them sign guys in free agency like Michael Bennett and add them to their defensive line. There's been all different kind of routes they've taken. So I think there's not one right way to build a roster. I think it's a mix of drafting well, picking your spots to be really aggressive in free agency, and picking your spots to be aggressive with picks for player trades when the right opportunity is out there. And, uh, 
you know, like I said, year two for Wentz, they signed Alshon Jeffrey, they signed Torrey Smith, uh, they already had Ertz developing, they went back to the well and drafted another tight end last year uh, to further diversify their offense, and, you know, they've gotten help from lower-round UDFA guys like Corey Clement, and they've gotten help from guys that had bigger names that they traded for, signed in free agency like LeGarrette Blount or JHI. So it's been a range of different ways for the Eagles to build, and hopefully the Jets take the same approach. Next question from Graham Campbell. How big of a meltdown will Jets Twitter go into if Joe Douglas sensibly uses picks one and two in their next couple of years on the offensive line and doesn't get wide receiver weapons? I don't think Jets Twitter will melt down about that at all. I think Jets Twitter will be happy. I think we all want to see the offensive line. I don't think, you know, I think receivers in need. I think you always want to be adding pass catching weapons for Darnold. And if there's a good opportunity to do that in the draft, they should do it. But offensive line is a higher priority. Uh, you know, there's certainly questions at receiver, but I don't think anyone should or would complain about the team concentrating their top resources on the offensive line position. Next question from Jim D. Which of the remaining Mac draft picks currently on the roster will be cut and never play in the NFL again? Yeesh. I mean, there's not many left at this point, right? Uh, I don't think Jeremy Clark is probably going to ever play any meaningful reps in the NFL. Uh, he's still hanging around the roster, I think. Um, Foley, Fat Yukatsi, not sure he's going to be someone who makes a major impact here. Don't want to fully punt on Nathan Shepard and Perry Nickerson yet, but I wouldn't expect them playing major reps here. And if it doesn't happen for them here, I'm not sure necessarily where they're going to catch on or fit. Um, beyond that, I think most of these other guys will carve out a role somewhere. You know, even from guys like Derek Jones, who were a lower round pick, to Elijah McGuire, who might stick as a situational player. Um, if the Jets end up keeping the other veteran running backs in front of them. Um, and then if you look at the 2018 draft class, and it's hard to say anything with the 2019 draft class that McCagnan did technically have under his belt, so we got to see how, how those guys look in the preseason. Am I in? I could see them having a quick cut for certain guys like Nickerson and Fat Yukasi and Jeremy Clark if it's not working out in training camp, but I think all the 2019 guys will be given a fair shake in the preseason and we'll see what kind of roles they have. I think there's obviously high expectations for Williams and Polite this year. I think Adoga is probably their top backup at tackle. I think Wesco probably defaults to being the backup tight end along with a little Eric Tomlinson, but hopefully not much. Uh, and then after that, you know, Cashman will have a good chance to be the fourth the fourth linebacker, you know, behind Neville Hewitt, if not the third linebacker with Darren Lee gone. Uh, and we'll see how those guys develop long term. Well, this this question dovetails well into what happened today. From Jets fan one two three four five, very original name. How excited are you for the new front office, not just Douglas, but the guys coming with him? So again, today the Jets the most surprising move, bringing back Rex Hogan, who was their director of college scouting under McCagnan from 2015 to 2016, left to go to the Colts, worked under Chris Ballard for a couple of years, and now comes back with a higher title. Hogan was a guy that you know, was well thought of around the organization during his time here. They let go, never really replaced. Uh, spent two years with a, a really good GM and Chris Ballard and now comes back, which is exciting. So I think that's the positive. He was part of a couple of really good draft classes and some smart moves. Obviously, he was a director of college college scouting during some ugly Jets drafts here. How much of that is his fault or how much of that he learned since then? You know, I guess we'll see. But that was a kind of an interesting out of nowhere hire as he didn't have any previous experience with Douglas. And that's OK. It's good to know Douglas will hire people that he hasn't worked with if he's confident in their ability. Uh, Phil Savage also joined as a senior 
senior advisor. Savage is a guy who's got you know a ton of experience and roots all over the NFL. A lot of time with Baltimore, was the Cleveland Browns GM for a brief stint. Uh, time with the Eagles, was the executive director of the Senior Bowl, spent time in the AAF, so... Uh, makes sense for Douglas wanting to have someone who's been a GM elsewhere before and he spent a lot of time with in Baltimore to kind of lean on as he acclimates to the role. Uh, and then Chad Alexander, who is a long-rumored addition, getting a promotion. He's been with the Ravens for almost 20 years, but now we'll get to move from an assistant uh, director of player personnel to the director of player personnel. So anytime you can get two executives from playoff teams, the Colts and the Bears, that's a, that's good. And I think... This front office will be a lot more plugged in uh, and has a lot more connections league-wide than what the Jets were dealing with with McCagnan and Id- Idzik. I mean, really, you look at the McCagnan situation. After Hogan left, the only real guys you had were McCagnan, who was happy just to kind of be a scout on the road, and Heimerdinger, who was like 31. So he can only have so many connections you know, throughout the NFL. You know, Savage has been bouncing around the league for 20, 25 years. Alexander has spent... You know, 20 years with the Ravens, learned under Ozzie Newsome. Um, and Hogan has worked in this organization before and now worked with the Colts and is now back here. So I think it's a much better situation than it was at this time last year. From the real Griff, better outcome, Rule and Mack or Gase and Douglas? Interesting question. Uh, I mean, I think you have to say Gase and Douglas at this point because Gase, who, look, I'm still not sold on him as a head coach, uh, but he was so far a necessary evil in getting rid of Mike McCagnan and leading to this route of getting Joe Douglas here. Am I convinced that Adam Gase is going to be this team's head coach in 2021? No, but Joe Douglas is on a longer contract and that front office will have more long, will have more of an impact on long-term sustainable success than a head coach hire. So I think being stuck with McCagnan for another year or two would have just further set this franchise back and getting Douglas in here with all these new executives, it might not have an immediate, immediate impact in 2019, but long-term will have a bigger impact than the Jets potentially having to switch coaches. And look, maybe Gase learns and improves from his time in Miami, and this is a moot point, but we'll see. Uh, But I, I would go with Gase and Douglas. Your question from Spotty Blackman. Realistically, is 2021 the year where expectations should begin? I mean, how many years have we got to wait for expectations? That would be like 11 years without a playoff spot, which is like bananas, not just in the NFL, but in like modern professional sports currently in America. That's why the Jets have the longest drought. Look, I'm happy with all the changes they made in the front office. Expectations should still be up. They got a tight window to win in Sam Darnold's rookie year. They spent a lot of money. Now, if they go out and struggle this year, you can't blame the new front office. Uh, can you look at the coaching staff and say, uh, if we go 6-10, and 10, are we beholden to be bringing back Adam Gase and Greg Williams and Dowell Loggins? Hell no. They should be ready to make changes like right away if they're 6-10 and 10 or 7-9. and nine. Now, I think if they're 8-8 eight eight or 9-7, and seven, you don't make the playoffs – I still think most of the coaching staff is back, but the expectation I think is then is win in 2020 or you're clearing out the coaching staff. So I don't think 2021 is when realistic expectations should begin. you got to win on Sam Darnold's rookie deal. Uh, Le'Veon Bell's in his prime. C.J. Mosley's in his prime. So is Robbie Anderson, Jameson Crowder. Um, I think this coaching staff should feel pressure this year. This is a veteran coaching staff. Adam Gase has been a head coach in the NFL the past three years for an AFC East team. Greg Williams has been a defensive coordinator forever. You know, Gase got to build his staff. So keep the pressure on this coaching staff uh, and make that make him prove that he's learned from his time in Miami and can take advantage of having more talent. 
next question from Brian Tumbarello. When will we find out about Herndon's suspension? I know he's probably getting two games, but why haven't we heard about any news regarding it yet? It's just a timing thing. I think we'll hear about it in sort of this dead period before training camp starts. I would absolutely expect two games, and the Jets will roll with Wesco and Tomlinson for those first two weeks. Not ideal uh, at all. Obviously, there's a big drop-off there, but I think expecting two games is uh, is reasonable. Final question. Let's see what we got here. Question from at Case Product 747. Do you think Gase and Greg Williams end up getting along, or will it implode? Uh, man. You know, common sense, if you took the Jets off at, the Jets hat off, you would say, you look at Gase's personality, you look at Greg Williams' personality, you look at Joe Vitt, you look at Greg Williams' son, um, you look at Gase choosing to bring Dow Logans along, you would say, yeah, this is probably going to lead to some friction at some point, particularly with like Gase being like, you know, Greg is the head coach of the defense. I'm the head coach of the offense. It's the head coach of the defense. That creates some pretty clear fault lines on this team. It's all going to be about winning, man. You know, they come out, they, they tread water, go three and three in those first six games and take advantage of the weak part of their schedule. I think they're going to be fine if they start two and four, two and five, because the schedule is really hard. Do I think things could get ugly? Sure. You know, uh, it's, it's a real possibility. Uh, I don't want to lose sight of that in all the excitement about the front office. I think these front office changes are hugely, hugely important and a positive. I think the benefits of them we might not start really seeing until 2020 or 2021. Uh, for the coaching staff, I think they're on a short lease to prove this sort of chaotic group could work. And if they don't work, let Joe Douglas and all these smart guys around him build the staff they want. Now, maybe it does work because the Jets have a lot of talent. Uh, and the Jets have an offensive-minded coach with Darnold, and if their offense is, is playing up to standards and their defenses, then everyone should get along. Uh, but it's definitely a situation to monitor. I think you're being naive if you're saying it's not. All right, that's 30 minutes. Appreciate all the questions. Glad we got to get through them all. Thank you, everybody, for tweeting them over to at Jay Caparoso. Uh, stay with us on the Turn on the Jets feed. We'll have another episode in the next few days or so, uh, and stay with us at turnonthejets.com for more written content. Thank you, everybody, for listening.